0: Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of the Business Advantage podcast. I am Alicia M. Pennington, owner of Advantage, mama, business consultant, and your host. I started this podcast back in 2016 to bring awareness to business-related topics in athletic training. And now here we are, seven years later, on season four, discussing the transition from self-employment to business ownership. Let's dive in. Are you a self-motivated athletic trainer looking to take control of your work? Advantage is seeking relationships with athletic trainers who want autonomy, flexibility in their schedule, and who thrive in non-traditional contract opportunities. If this sounds like you, get in touch. Key learning objectives. Defining viability and how it applies to the athletic training business. Recognize the relevance of a competitive analysis and market research in determining the potential success of a business. Create opportunities to collect information necessary for business viability. As we begin to transition our conversation from self-employed work to business ownership, there are several factors that will need to be discussed and investigated. Business viability is one of them, which is defined as the potential that a business has to be successful. Of course, there are a ton of factors that go into what might make a business successful or not, some that can be accounted for and others that are just completely outside of our control. So, with that said, there are measures that we can take to set ourselves up for success from the start. A reminder here that we are in this season transitioning further and further away from the self-employed work that an athletic trainer does, such as the examples that have been brought up in previous episodes, and we are now going to begin diving deeper and deeper into whether you want to start a business, and if that business then is something that you want to grow beyond just doing gig work or self-employed stuff. So if you're just listening for the CEUs, no worries, come along with us. It's still really great information. If this is a topic that you're actually interested in, this is going to be really pertinent information for you on how to take next steps in actually starting a business for yourself, regardless of whether it is an athletic training-related field or something completely unrelated. It's human nature for all of us, to want to avoid failure and, you know, basically to to guarantee ourselves as much prosperity as possible. And we're so much more likely to pursue something if there are higher levels of assurance associated with it, right? Feels... Feels very obvious, feels very, very common sense. And so just as in sports medicine, how we have special tests that we can use to determine the likelihood of a specific structure that is being compromised in an injury, we can do something very similar in business. There are aspects that we can examine prior to entering into business that help us determine the level of success that we might have. So think about when you're going through an athletic training education program and you're learning about, first of all, all of the anatomy, all of the different structures, the different types of connective tissue, all of that kind of stuff. Those are the language, the vocab. You know, some of the things that we've talked to up to this point, I'm attempting to familiarize you with what the baseline understanding is. The same way that we took anatomy and phys to begin, we didn't take exercise physiology to start. I'm introducing you to the skeleton of it, right? <laughs> the 206 bones and the you know the different types of connective tissue and things like that. Now, what I'm going to be doing is starting to talk to you about special tests. So you're already kind of familiar with the structure of things. You're already becoming knowledgeable about different vocabulary, different terms. And so when I reference the knee, for example, in an athletic training specific situation, you know what structure I'm referring to. Okay. And now when we talk about special tests, when I say, you know, the Lachman's test to test the integrity of the ACL, and I'm going to tell you what a Lachman's does and how to perform it, that's what we are going to be doing in today's episode. I'm going to be talking to you about how to conduct a Lockman's test or the purpose of a Lockman's test, for example, but it's as it relates to business, okay? As I mentioned in a previous episode, the way that our brains are trained as athletic trainers, it sets us up really wonderfully for entrepreneurship, for business ownership, for venturing into this field. We're used to solving problems, we think creatively, and we work well within teams. But we're also driven and motivated to be self-starters. And that's really, you know, from a characteristics and from a personality's perspective, yes, there is a risk tolerance that is involved. Yes, there is a level of of being able to have you know confidence to step out on your own but truthfully a lot of what business ownership is is thinking creatively it is trying to figure out what is the problem that somebody is having and how can i solve it and some people are already solving that problem in certain ways and so you come up with an alternative or a more creative solution to it, or even if other people are solving it, what they refer to as market saturation, maybe you have a unique way of doing it or you're addressing a very specific population in the way that you do it, okay? So naturally... This isn't, you know, addressed in our education curriculum. But it's important to recognize that you're not starting from scratch here. Yes, I'm introducing new lingo, there's new vocab words that are associated with it. I'm going to have to teach you, you know, some special tests that you previously haven't been familiar with. But you're not starting from scratch. If you venture into business ownership, you have a lot of the tools that are already in your tool bag. You're not doing nothing here. And The other thing I I want to remind you of that I brought up in the previous episode is so many business owners and people who enter entrepreneurship, majority of them don't even have a bachelor's. A slim minority have that four-year degree, and even a smaller amount have the advanced degrees, the master's, or beyond. So you are already setting yourself apart in the market simply because of your background, simply because of your education. So remember that. So... You know, while we may not be taught how to distinguish between an LLC and a DBA, which is what we discussed previously, or how to conduct market research, when we think about the personalities, the skills, or the characteristics needed to really persevere in the business world, honestly, many of you, you already have it. And so, as with any decision in life that kind of deviates from the unknown and is starting to you know, go into uncharted territory, it's important that we examine the risk that's associated with it. I've been talking about risk again and again and again, and I've continued to relate it to the delivery of the services of the work that you're doing. And I'm shifting that angle a little bit when I say risk. Now we're going to be talking about risk associated with Starting your own business, right? Every decision that we make in life, whether it's driving to work or starting a business, there is risk associated with it. And I want you to be wide eyed. I want you to be very acknowledging and understanding of what that risk is so that you can make the most informed decision for yourself. We have to weigh a number of different factors. What will it cost? What will it cost us in time? What will it cost us in energy? What will it literally cost us in money, in finances, right? And then what will it afford us? What will it afford us in time? What will it afford us in energy? What will it afford us in money? And we have to hedge our bets against what will minimize the cost the most and maximize our affordability, maximize our profits. We already know that studies show going out on your own into self-employment Allows for increased physical and mental health gains, right? So we already know that there's a positive there. But what are some of the other costs? What are some of the other things that we might be leveraging or giving up when we go into business ownership? Since most of you are already working professionals, it's unlikely that you're considering just completely vacating your job or the profession altogether as you're listening to this, though it's also okay. If you are, if that's the position that you're in and you've been brought to these episodes because you are looking for a way out, we will get to that. But it's also completely okay to just have a side gig, to want to continue having a steady paycheck and take advantage of all of these business benefits by just having a side gig. Totally acceptable. There are multiple versions of this. There is no right or wrong for anybody. But regardless of your personal feelings about the status of work, my recommendation is always to stay at your job while starting a business on the side. This was something that I did. In my experience, it takes at least a full year for a new business or a new idea to kind of catch on, if you will. And it takes a full two years. To really have enough momentum to justify leaving that steady paycheck. So this is exactly what I did. I started doing basically full-time freelancing in 2012, 2011 really. And I had started connecting people to job opportunities while I was doing the full-time freelancing, because I was gaining networks. I was meeting more people. I had a greater Rolodex of clientele who were seeking athletic training services, but I was only one person. And so I started connecting other people. And about a year into doing that, I started a high school job. So I worked at an all-girls private Catholic school. I didn't go in until about two in the afternoon, and I typically worked until between 7 and 9 p.m. So a pretty typical athletic training job. But that meant that I had the mornings off completely. And I'm an early riser. So if I'm up by 7 a.m., that means that I've got a full seven hours of productive time in front of me that I can utilize before I have to go in and work my full job. And so while I was at that high school, I would use the mornings and I would build this business idea that I had. I built my staffing company. It's when I would call and connect with athletic directors, or I would set up different scheduling. I would call athletic trainers, get in touch with them, see how much, you know, I could get booked for that weekend, whatever it was. So yes, you will have to balance both. And you may even have guilt associated with building your own thing on the side while working for someone else. I absolutely did. I was as transparent as possible with my employer. And I also had a coworker that I worked with and she knew that this is what I was building on the side. I did everything I could to mitigate the amount of calls I had to take when I was at work. And I also did everything I could to mitigate taking time off. I very rarely had to take time off to run this business or to grow this business on the side. And so, yeah, you'll probably have more excitement for your side hustle than your main gig. Again, I know I did. And, you know, all of that is okay. It's really fun to be building something of your own. And it is okay if that gives you more light, more passion than when you go to your primary gig. For me, the high school job was a means to an end. I needed a steady paycheck. I needed to be able to live and breathe comfortably and not have to grow this business thing to a point where it had to feed me every single day. And mind you, I didn't come out of school wanting to start a business. I came out of school in 2011 and it was still the Great Recession. It was very difficult to find work, work that was full time, work that paid well, work that I wanted to do. Naturally, I was selfish. You know, there were things that were offered to me that I didn't love and I and I turned them down. But I very much was on the pursuit of having something that lit me up. And this business idea was that. And it and it, it, I was one of those opportunity people. When I talked about the statistics in the last episode, I absolutely was one of those people that this just presented itself. I'm convinced now that it was intended to be my, the direction that I went. But at the time... I'm straddling both sides. I'm not convinced that, you know, I'm going to be a business owner full-time. That was not at all what I set out to do. And so in order to really make this idea, make this thing that you have viable and to build yourself up for success, we need to be willing to make some short-term sacrifices and play the long game, right? So I stayed at that high school job for two years. I worked it for two school years before I left it. And I had grown my business to a place where it was able to replace my full-time salary at that high school. And I still continued to keep some part-time work on the side right after I left the high school. So this would have been in 2014. I got the job with Biggest Loser. Biggest Loser was a television show that had a staff of three different athletic trainers. We would rotate they filmed for about four to five months at a time. And so it was a seasonal gig and I would go and I would work that and it would help supplement my income. The business was enough, was making enough to provide me the full-time salary that I needed, but The Biggest Loser did help supplement that. One of the things I'm really big on in, you know, going into any venture, but specifically a business's venture is that you're not going to take on debt. I I don't want people taking on debt. You're not going to take this massive leap that requires you to compromise your entire career. My approach is you're going to slowly work consistently at this idea that is burning inside of you. So many of you that I talk to, you have these ideas, whether it's to step out on your own as an athletic trainer, to start a coffee shop, to be a concierge athletic trainer, to run a floral business, whatever it is, many of you have these desires that are inside of you. And so I will keep saying this episode after episode. If we truly want to increase the possibility of maintaining athletic trainers in our profession, and this can be at just the per diem level. So many of us leave and we we don't even have the capacity to be taking on per diem work to you know help out where we can because we're so burnt out. But if we want to be able to keep people in this profession, we need to find ways to stay passionate about our work. And if that means that you have a floral business on the side and that is now producing your primary income and you just pick up gigs when you want, you work that annual tennis tournament every year, that is totally acceptable, absolutely okay, because we're maintaining your status in this profession. Otherwise, we would completely lose you. And this doesn't mean that your business or that your side hustle, like I've been saying, that it has to be AT-related. You can sell stickers. You could do wedding photography in the summer if you want. Whatever it is that lights you up, having this other aspect of your life that feeds a need within you increases the likelihood that you will also stay in athletic training. I am a perfect example of this. I have owned my staffing company, mostly working administratively since 2012. As of recording of this, I have not worked clinically since 2019. That was the last season of Biggest Loser. So basically, when I finished the high school job in 2000. I think it was 2014 that we finished the high school job. It would have been May. Yeah. May 2014, I finished up the high school job. I started working Biggest Loser that August, maybe September, and we filmed seasonally, like I mentioned. So 2014, we filmed. 2015, we filmed. And then it went on hiatus for, I think, two or three years. And it came back in 2019. I worked it in 2019. In those few years that it was on hiatus, I also was doing very, very part-time work with USA Beach Volleyball, USA Water Polo. I would travel with them to tournaments for one to two weeks at a time, maybe one to two times per year. Other than that, I have been working administratively, not clinically. And honestly, I probably would have left the profession if not for being able to stay involved from an administrative perspective. So owning this business, having a staffing company has urged me to maintain my credential and to keep up with the trends and the advances in our profession that I probably would have otherwise vacated or lost interest in if I didn't have this business, this passion that was keeping me here. My husband and I started a consulting firm for aspiring and established business owners who are looking to start, scale, or shift their businesses. We've worked with everyone from independent athletic trainers to multi-million dollar corporations. We've translated our foundational principles across 35 plus industries and would love to support you as well. Head to penningtonperspective.com for more info, or feel free to just DM me directly on IG at it's alicia mp. That's i t s a l i s h a m p. See you there. So, okay, let's dive into the details of what to examine in order to determine business viability and, therefore, success in your in your business endeavors. The two things that we're going to talk about and that we're going to conduct are market research and a competitive analysis. I love what the Small Business Association says about these topics, which is that market research helps you find customers for your business. Competitive analysis helps you make your business unique, combine them to find a competitive advantage for your small business. So what does this mean? Again, as we've been talking about the transition from self-employment to business ownership, if you're wanting to actually dive in more to owning your own business, bringing in additional customers, potentially being able to leave your primary gig within a few years in order to run this on your own, determining business viability is going to be crucial. And so the market research that we're going to discuss here in a moment is what helps you find customers for this business. So again, it doesn't matter what type of business it is. Wedding photography, selling stickers, flowers, AT concierge, it doesn't matter. This is universal, foundational messages and information for you. The competitive analysis, therefore, helps you make your business unique. Right. So we're gonna have to look at both of these components in order to then combine them and find the competitive competitive advantage for the small business that you want to start. So for market research, you're going to approach and speak to people who you would like to purchase from you. I'm going to refer to them as clients. That's what we refer to our customers as. But you know, this is just a, a catch-all phrase that I'm going to use for referring to whoever is going to pay you. So if you're a wedding photographer, you may call them a client, you may call them a customer. If you're selling stickers, you may call them a customer instead of a client. Whatever it is, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page with the with the references that I'm making. So depending on your business model, this could be parents. You know, if you're going to start a brick and mortar And offer, you know, regenerative modalities and recovery and, you know, basically open up your own athletic training room that's available to the public. Probably one of your demographics is going to be parents, the people that you sell to, right? You might have other athletic trainers as your customers. If you're selling sparkly tumblers that have cute quotes on them about being an athletic trainer, if you sell stickers, if you have anything that appeals From an apparel or a product perspective to other athletic trainers. Technically, my staffing company, we have two different types of customers. We have the athletic trainer and we have the client. So we have to appeal to athletic trainers, or it might just be the general public, depending on what it is that your business is going to be in. So when we're talking to potential clients, we want to be very precise and pointed with our line of questioning. So we're going to go to them. We're going to ask them some questions. This is us conducting market research. We're going to want to be very precise and pointed with the questions that we're asking because we need to get specific answers out of them, right? So specifically, we're looking to identify their pain points and their desired solutions. So like I've said, athletic trainers, we already know how to figure out people's pain points. We know how to investigate that. We know how to uncover what that is. And we're really good at coming up with really creative solutions. The pain point is going to help us identify what their needs are and their desired solution is what we will use to develop our business offerings. So for pain points, we wanna ask questions like, what are you currently struggling with related to blank? Okay, blank is going to be your industry, your offering, whatever type of service that you wanna bring to market. And I'll give you some examples here in a minute. What do you need support with related to blank? What bothers you the most about blank? Or what is not working for you related to blank? So I'm going to offer you both an athletic training and a non-athletic training example here of how to ask these questions so that we can make it a little bit more tangible so let's say that you're offering concierge athletic training services. Here's what these questions would sound like. So again, we're conducting market research. We're going to put together a survey, a poll. We're trying to determine if our business idea is viable. And the way that we're doing that with market research is we're trying to figure out those people who, would, who we would want to buy from us. We need to ask them some questions. These are the questions that we are going to ask them. What are you currently struggling with related to recovering from injury on your own? Or what are you currently struggling with related to what the current options available to you are? So maybe they have a high school athletic trainer, but they're too inundated to really do a rehab. Or maybe they have zero access to an athletic trainer, right? What are you currently struggling with related to recovering from injury on your own? I don't have the tools and resources to do this on my own. Boom, we already have one of their needs. We already have one of their problems. What do you need support with related to getting back to sport after injury, right? I think a lot of these questions are gonna be super obvious for the athletic training model because we are so ingrained in, in what we know the problems are. We already know what is not available to the general public, but it's still important that we ask these questions because it's going to help us get a little bit more specific information from potential customers. What bothers you the most about the options currently available to you? So that could be physical therapy. That could be your current athletic trainer. That could be what your insurance pays for, whatever it is. What bothers you the most about it? Maybe they say, the availability, right? Physical therapists are only available 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Well, I'm an athlete. I need to be able to come at 6.30 when practice ends. I need to be able to get in on Saturday mornings after I've had a game. And physical therapists don't have a schedule that allow for that. Well, boom, you've just identified a need that you can then use as a solution in your business offerings that you offer after hours and weekend appointments. And you've already differentiated yourself in the market. See how we're doing that? What is not working for you related to the system that you're already navigating? Right? So what is not working for you related to what it is that's being provided? Maybe it's that insurance ran up every provider out there will only accept insurance and we're not in a position to extend our insurance in any way. Well, you decide to offer cash services. Again, I know that that feels like a really obvious example, but when people are building business models, these types of things aren't so obvious for them. And it may be coming naturally for you, because like i said we already know the problems in healthcare we already know the position that an athletic trainer can hold in the overall healthcare system and so a lot of these are going to feel very obvious okay so then let's move on to a non-athletic training example let's say that you want to have a creative outlet like you're going to you're going to start a floral business or you're creating cake pops and cupcakes on the weekends Okay. That's your creative outlet. So the question is, what are you currently struggling with related to the options currently available? Maybe someone, I'll I'll use myself as as an example. I can't find gluten-free cake pops. That's my struggle related to the current options available. I would love to have a cake pop, especially when I take my daughter out and she loves those things. She thinks that they're lollipops is what she calls them, but I can never enjoy one with her because none of them are gluten-free. That's what I struggle with. What do you need support with related to finding an option that you love? Well, I need a gluten-free option available to me. Or if we think about running a floral business, right? I don't I don't see one that has the designs that I like, or I just want to pick one up on my way home. I would love to support a small business and I'd love to have fresh flowers and I don't want to have to buy them from the supermarket. So What do I need support with? I would love to be able to shop small and have flowers, new flowers every single week on my dining table. What bothers you the most about what is currently available? Well, it's that I can't find affordable and gluten-free options or that there is nothing available for me to be able to shop small and have flowers on on my dining table every week. And then what is not working for you related to the options on the market, right? So just another way to to phrase these questions. And so asking questions like these will reveal to you what they'd like different in your offering than what is already being offered. Okay. So you don't have to be concerned about all of the options that are on the market because I don't believe in the saturation. I, I don't. I choose not to buy into this idea that, well, somebody else is doing it, so I can't. Uh uh-uh, uh uh-uh. We all have a unique approach of what we have, and we can bring something to the market that is an offering that people would value. So next, we turn to their desired solutions. These will now help inform what we should offer and how so that we can meet the exact desire of our potential customers. Okay, so for understanding their desired questions, we're going to ask their desired solutions. We're going to ask questions like, what is your ideal version of blank? What is your dream solution of blank? And what would that be? If you could have everything that you wanted related to blank, what would that look like? So again, here in the athletic training example, here's what it would sound like. What is your ideal version of personal athletic training services? And here's the thing, somebody might say, I want to I wanna go to a clinic and I want to be able to play with and have access to all of the latest modalities. If I'm seeing cupping being done on NFL players, I want to be able to come down to somewhere local to me and I want to get that. I want to feel like I'm being treated like an NFL player. Or they might say, I don't have the time. You know, we as a family are very busy and we have three kids in three different sports, and we'd love to have athletic training services, but there's no way that we're going to get to a brick and mortar twice a week. If there was a way that while I was cooking dinner and the kids were getting their homework done, that somebody could be in the house, rotating, working on them 20 minutes at a time, that would be ideal. Very different answers. And it, and it, it makes you create very different solutions in your business. Asking them again, your what would be your dream solution of a come to you AT? What would that look like, right? If you could have everything that you wanted related to injury return to play, what would that look like for you? So again, we're trying to get even further detail from them. It's not enough to just be like, the general public needs access to an athletic trainer and orthopedic services. I don't disagree. I am absolutely right there with you. But what's the business model behind it? How are we going to ensure that people are actually paying you? You go and open up in brick and mortar only to find out you live in a really affluent area and everybody would have paid you three times the hourly rate to get you to come to them. So here you are with a lease and a brick and mortar that you thought people would come flooding into because you know they have money and they would pay you and they want these services. But the reality is they would have rather you just come to them or the opposite. You build up this entire concierge mobile setup, all of these things. But the reality is they would have rather just come walking into a clinic and done the services there, right? We have to ask these questions in order to set ourselves up for success. For the non-AT example, What is your ideal version of cake pops? For me, gluten-free. For my daughter, pink, sprinkles, unicorn, you know, all of that stuff. What is your dream solution of a local bakery? What would that be? For me, someone that offers gluten-free solutions, right? If you could have everything you wanted related to a custom sweets option, what would it look like? I would love for it to be delivered to me every week. If I could have five cake pops delivered to me every week, and I had those on hand to use as a treat with my kid, boom, that's amazing. I'd love that. And so these answers will be specific enough for you to know exactly what to develop and to put in front of them so that we ensure that they will purchase from you. Completely takes the guesswork out of it. And so now when it comes to the competitive analysis, we need to be mindful of who else is in the market either similar or exactly to what we offer. How will your client base be the same or different as the demographics of what they're serving? And we also want to look at what others are doing in order to potentially capture their customer. So areas to consider when completing a competitive analysis include, what do they, so they is going to be Anybody who you know or that you can find on Google that is doing something similar to what you're doing or that you want to do, what do they primarily serve? Who do they primarily serve? I should say, who do they primarily serve and how is it different or how does it resemble your audience? Right? So is it about the same age? Are they also targeting high school athletes? Are they also targeting the retired athlete, the weekend warrior? Maybe industry? Are they only focused on soccer players, and you want to primarily focus on volleyball players? That's a difference. Geographic region? Are they thirty miles away from you? Are they on the other side of town? Are they inconvenient for the customers that you would otherwise serve? Maybe a stage in in their career or their life. They're very veteran. They have a lot of you know reputable networks, and you're younger or vice versa, right? How can you play up to that or or not? Gender. What 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 gender would you guys be addressing, right? What are their strengths and what do they excel at? Look at their testimonies and reviews. See what people are saying about them. What is the aesthetic that they have related to their business if any? How is their client experience? Are people saying oh my gosh, I feel so well taken care of whenever I go in there? Or are they saying, I get really great results, but you know it's difficult to get in touch with them, right? Do they have more or fewer services or products or deliverables than you do? And again, if you're looking at this from either the athletic training example or a non-athletic training example, you can do this whether you want to be a wedding photographer, a floral a floral business, an athletic training, whatever it is, you can, you can look at these aspects and what results are they delivering? Are there points in their reviews that you could improve on in your business? How do they make people feel? What are people saying? How, how does your brand differ? Maybe you're going to have a younger, edgier, you know, kind of more relatable, whereas theirs is very professional, very kind of detached you know, just has a different feel to it. And what are the results that clients are having after working with them? Obviously, you guys can provide completely different modalities, or you can provide completely different services, or deliver services in a completely different way. But you need to be able to differentiate that. And so key takeaways from the competitive analysis, what are things that you can borrow that they do well? What are strengths of yours that you should be highlighting in your messaging? And what is something that you hadn't previously considered that you should implement moving forward? So this is really fun. It's always really cool to look at what other people are doing. It's fun to, you know, kind of investigate and see what they do really well and what you'd like to borrow from what they do really well. And then also reveal to you what are things that that you excel at and that you really want to make sure that you double down on when you're promoting your services. According to Hanover Research... 68% of companies that have increased sales have used market research to do so. Companies that frequently conduct market research are significantly more likely to report an increase in revenue over the last 12 months than those who infrequently conduct market research. Companies that frequently conduct market research are more likely to improve customer retention, enter a new market and launch a new product or service than their counterparts who do not conduct market research often. And more companies are turning their attention to customer insights, including assessing customer satisfaction or analyzing customer service. Companies then use the results from these studies to inform decisions that have real impact on other areas of the business, like new market expansion or product development. So I just want to be able to share that with you, that. You know, what I'm, what I'm teaching here, it's stuff that I have found incredibly valuable over my 10 years of entrepreneurship and my probably six plus years of consulting others. But this is also very standard practice and other large and small companies are seeing results from it as well. I had a Forbes article. For those of you who aren't aware, I am a a contributor to Forbes. I am on their business council, the Forbes business council. I have been for about two years. And so I had a part of my part of my contributorship is that I write articles for them. And so I had an article go live about this topic. And I also have a mini course all about how to do this work. You know, where to find potential customers, how to ask these questions, where and how to collect the information, how to extract the necessary details of what you capture, and then how to use that information to inform your decisions moving forward. As of this writing, we've had over 60 people go through that course in our consulting business. And it continues to serve as a resource to refer back to annually, not just when you're starting. So if you want to link to that, I will drop it in the show notes. No pressure there. So if you're going to go into business, you owe it to yourself to ensure that there is success built into the plan that you're putting together. Just like we do with special tests and our evaluation procedures, there are specific aspects that can be accounted for when starting something of your own, which is known as viability. As the Small Business Association declared, market research helps you find customers for your business. Competitive analysis helps you make your business unique. Combine them to find a competitive advantage for your small business. Creating opportunities to collect information necessary for business viability drastically increases the likelihood of success for your future endeavor. Thank you for listening. You are now eligible to receive a Category A CEU. Head to advantageacademy.com. Find the title of this podcast as a course name and complete the quiz for your credit. As always, if you found this useful, please recommend it to peers or share about it on social media. Be sure to tag us at The Advantage. That's T-H-E-A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E.